Anytime you can use a Karate Kid uh, clip in a sermon, it's a good thing. So sorry about the technical difference uh, or difficulties. But at the end there, you hear, you hear Daniel say, you could have killed him. Couldn't you have? And he says, I... Right? He could have taken him out. The enemy, the bully, right? Mr. Miyagi could have taken him out. David here could have killed Saul, but he doesn't. He doesn't. David cuts the corner of his robe off. And, and the troops, the 600 troops, must have been stunned when he came back deeper into the cave and all he had was part of the royal robe. They're like, what in the world? We could have had victory. They don't think that Saul's troops would have rallied around a a, a dead king, that they would have ran or joined David. But David reacts very differently. He reacts uh, as, as someone who is hearing from God continually. So it says, and afterward, David's heart struck him. This is right after he cut off the robe, uh, the corner of the robe of, of Saul's robe. Because he had cut off the corner of Saul's robe, he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. So it's likely that when Saul went in there to use the restroom, he took off his main outward or outer robe. It's, it's a big robe, shows that he's the king. And, and, and so it was probably laid close to him. He was taking care of business. David sneaks up there, decides, I can't kill this guy, but I'm going to cut off the corner of the robe. And then he goes back to his men and, and they're upset. You didn't kill him. And, and David's like, I cut off the corner of the robe. And then David felt conviction. He had done something wrong. Right, The enemy was vulnerable, victory was at hand, but David's loyalty to God and God's plan came through. He had allegiance to God. He, he wants to make godly decisions and go down a godly path. Circumstances alone do not dictate to David his action or his, his path. God does. And you and I, we need to become followers of Jesus Christ that live the same way. That it's God's will. That's what we're going to do. Not take advantage of circumstances or situations, but move forward in that way. Now, David comes to this conclusion that killing Saul would be wrong. That's not God's plan. Respect of authority was a huge deal. Respecting God... And that he allowed Saul to be in the place that he was king. And he didn't take him out. And he hadn't told David to take him out. Right? And and he placed Saul in charge where he was. And he had not removed him yet. Exodus 22 verse 28 says, You shall not revile God nor curse the ruler of your people. In Exodus and in Numbers, we're given a lot of instruction, Leviticus, on how we need to view those who are placed in authority over us, even if we don't agree with them. David was made king and told to wait, and he waited. He didn't take things into his own hand. He didn't justify doing something wrong because it would accomplish the result that he believed God was going to accomplish anyways. God uh, had, had 
in the Old Testament punished his people for a rebellious attitude against authority. We see that in Numbers 12 and in Numbers 16. God takes that seriously. Now, we, we've talked about this before over the years. In our church body here, we have people, brothers and sisters in Christ, that lean a little bit to the right and others that lean a little bit to the left. The person that's in government here in Washington State or in Washington, D.C., sometimes is not the person we want to be there. And yet God has called us in his word to respect their place, their position, respect their authority. Doesn't mean we have to agree with everything that they do. We need to be praying for them, right? And again, it's not one side is good and one side is bad. We need to do that for all authority that's placed over us. And I know for me, sometimes it's easy to fall into making jokes about people, uh, depending on who we think is the right person to be in that job and, and jokes or harsh words about them. And yet if you read scripture and you search scripture and you look for how we should treat those in authority, even those who would be considered evil like Saul, We are to respect them and that position. Do we believe in God's sovereignty? Do we believe in his providence? Do we believe that his hand is in control? Those are questions that I needed to ask myself again this week and encourage myself to continue to move towards being more like Jesus Christ. Well, that's what David was doing here. David had problems with Saul. David had problems. I mean, Saul was chasing him down to try to kill him. And yet he respected what God had going on. The garments is kind of a big deal here. We see that David's heart was grieved after he cut the robe. Now remember, they were symbolically uh, significant in that day and age. Samuel's mom, if you remember all the way back to 1 Samuel uh, chapter 1 and 2, we know that Samuel's mom made a new robe for him every year and brought it to the temple. For the priest, and remember he was a young child when he went, so every year he's growing, he needs a new robe, and and his mom put a lot of time into that so that he would have the proper robe. Jonathan transferred his robe to David just a couple of chapters ago. We remember that. Jonathan, who would be in line for the throne behind Saul, because it was his son, says, no, I am relinquishing that right because I believe that God is proper, putting you in that spot, David. So I'm going to give you my robe to show that I support you, right? And, And giving that right to David. And so we see here, David cut the robe of the king. Saul's robe uh, now was in a state of non-compliance with the Torah, with God's word and what it should look like. And David is the one who did the damage to the robe. So he was guilty in some aspects of lifting his hand against the anointed of the Lord. Stepping outside of what God wanted, what God's best was for this situation. David was living in the meantime, and and he sinned by doing this, and it broke his heart. His heart struck him. And and so what we see here is he knows he's going to be king, but not yet. And so how does David respond in the meantime? He, He demonstrates a commitment to God's way. 
can you and I do that also? As we're moving forward in our lives, as we're living each day, do we demonstrate a commitment to God's way? We're not going to be perfect. We see that here. David, the man after God's own heart, right? That's how he's described. He sins here. He does something that's wrong. We may view it as insignificant, but we aren't living back then. And when that robe uh, was so important to them, he, he knew he had done something wrong. But we need to live our lives demonstrating a commitment to God's way. We also need a quick rate of recovery with sin. David didn't even make it back to his troops, and he knew what he had done was wrong. That really struck me this week. David didn't even make it back and high-five any of his guys. Right? He immediately knew what I did was wrong. I sinned against God. And then look how quick he recovers, how quickly he realizes that and moves forward. We were talking this week about sports. Uh, Brian was talking about like a triathlon. You get out there, you run your distance, and then it's how long until you are back to where your, your breathing rate and your heart rate is. What we would do as a football coaches over the time I was coaching, we would watch our linemen, how quickly could they recover Right from one play to the next, and you see those big guys that get winded after a few plays, and you got to pull them out. The, the, the ideal athletes playing on the line had that twenty to thirty seconds between the play and was able to recover. Right, and so there's a quick recovery rate, and, and and that's what we're looking for. And so Brian spoke about running. I was talking about football, but it was the same idea, and that's what we see here with David and his recovery after sin. So again, the, the troops are, that were hiding with him, they're, they're about to be stunned again. Let's move on with this story, uh, picking up here in verse 8. Afterward, David also, David also arose and went out of the cave and called to Saul, my lord and my king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. Now, the troops are probably like, yeah, be quiet. Get down. We don't want to draw attention to ourselves, right? Somebody needs to go tackle David before he says something, right? But it says, and David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men who say, behold, David seeks your harm. Behold, this day, your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And someone told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand, for by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and I did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you may hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancient says, out of the wicked comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog? After a flea? May the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you and see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. Now, this is the longest speech of David recorded, right? And, and we know that this is important. That's why the author of 1 Samuel puts this in here. 
And there are things that we, you and I can learn. David had just sinned against God by cutting the robe. He had been convicted of it. He went out to try to make it right. Because at some point, Saul was going to realize part of his robe was missing. And David's like, I need to get in there and, and set this thing straight. He was respectful. He calls Saul, the man who's hunting him down to kill him, my lord, the king, my father. He bows and he, he pays homage to him, right? And, and we see that he uses kind of a legal tone to this, right? He says, may the Lord judge between you and me. In other words, Saul, you need to stop thinking about how you can kill me and, and I need to treat you with the respect that I'm called to treat you with. And, and may the Lord be the judge of this. May the Lord therefore be the judge and give sentence between me and you and deliver me from your hand. Again, we see David's trust in God. David's trust in God's timing. His, his allegiance was to God and his faith and trust did not waver, even though he was continually being chased. He says to to Saul, you're believing and acting on lies. Someone is telling you something and you are moving forward in those lies. You're coming after me because you think that I'm a threat to you. And David says, but I have not sinned against you. Again, the sin here of cutting his robe, we see as sinning against God and God's placed authority. He didn't hurt Saul, right? He hasn't necessarily. So he says, I have not sinned against you. And then he calls Saul really as his own witness. If we can continue on in that, in that court theme, he says, you have seen that I have spared you, right? You're the witness here. You've seen that I have spared you. The evidence that I could have taken your life out, the corner of your robe, I was right there, and yet I didn't. So life in the meantime for David, he knows he's going to be king, but not yet. How do you and I live in the truths that we can read in scripture that we know are going to happen? How do we live between the knowledge of knowing them and when they actually happen? Now, David demonstrated a commitment to God's way, right? He, he doesn't repay sin by killing Saul for the sin of him being hunted constantly for almost 20 years, ultimately. He had opportunity. He had cause. His men even argued that it would be right or justified. How hard would that have been if you had been anointed king and had men with you and they remind you that you are supposed to be king of Israel to not do it and take that into your own hands. But he didn't act outside of God's plan. The Lord had not told him to do this, so he didn't. Now, some of you out there might have some tension in your heart and some of you might be struggling a little bit with this. Some of you might have a hard time respecting authority. That's what we see here. David respecting authority. We have a tough time not retaliating. We have pride in our hearts. We have pride in what we do or what we say. And so when someone's against us, we want to kind of take them out. And yet David didn't retaliate even if he had cause. He was radically different in the way that he responded compared to the way the world would tell us to respond. Romans 12, uh, verses 17 to 21 says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what, you, what is honorable in the sight of all. 
if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. God sets his standard. You and I, we have his standard in God's word. How are we going to respond to that? How do we choose to live in the meantime? Now, we're going to close out today by looking at Saul's response. As soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, you are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. And you have not declared this day how, uh, and you have declared this day how you have dealt well with me in that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now behold, I know that you shall surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hands. Swear to me, therefore, by the Lord, that you will not cut off my offspring after me and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swore this to Saul. Then Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. Saul is, is super emotional here. Now, Saul's getting older, right? And I know as we get older, we get a little more emotional. But Saul is getting super emotional here. He's having a, a tough time even really recognizing who David is. is. Is this you, David? Is this my son? I hear you, right? And he says, I'm in the wrong. You're in the right. He was surprised probably that David didn't kill him because that's what he would deserve, He had been chasing David for so long. In this, what I just read there, we we hear that he wishes David a blessing. And and it's the first time that we see that Saul acknowledges that David will become king. He he, he pleads for him to spare his family. Now, Jonathan and David had already had conversations about this. And David and Jonathan being such good friends, David had promised Jonathan that he would not do anything to the family as what they would have done in in those days, taking out the whole family. And, And instead he says, no, I won't do that to you. But here Saul asks says, break from this norm of when a new king would come in and, and take out the entire family. And, and David here agrees. And, and there's this parting of a way at the end. It's a, a truce for now. Uh, David goes back out to the stronghold. He goes back into hiding. So in other words, even though there was this truce and there was this, this, this conversation that had, uh, that happened between he and Saul, he didn't return Right, He didn't go back with Saul. He still stayed away from him. God gave you mercy and grace. Right? And, 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 and I see that. But I still don't trust you yet. That's kind of what he's saying here. And God's going to take care of it. God wants to be a God of judgment. But I don't necessarily have to trust you, Saul. And so that's, that's how, where we see this chapter end. And we're, we're, we're looking at David's life in the meantime. And what can we learn from that? 
David was told that he would be king, just not yet. And he demonstrated a commitment to God that you and I, I think, can apply to our lives. Are we committed to God? are, Are we committed to his word? And we see that David was. The other thing I see is that quick response to sin. How quickly David's heart sank because of what he had done. And I pray that myself, that I'll grow and become the kind of man that when, when I do sin, it's, it's something that I'm convicted of quickly and I, I turn from that. If I have thoughts of, of, of uh, inappropriate thoughts against someone who's placed an authority over me, that instead of saying the joke or joining in the conversation, I want to become the man who, who would stop that and move forward in a God-honoring way. A quick response to sin instead of a person that is marked by sin. Because life in the meantime for you and I is hinging ultimately on when we arrive in heaven. Jesus has come and, and we've placed, a lot of us have placed our faith in him and he's our savior and we receive salvation from him as a free gift. And at that point, at that moment, we are saved and yet we're living now life in the meantime until we join him in heaven. Jesus became man. That's the good news of the gospel so that you and I can have that right relationship with God through Jesus. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. That's immediate. And yet the hope of heaven is down the road. So how are you and I going to live in the meantime?